church is a community of death. Not to be a, a downer, but that is what the church is. It is a fellowship of the dead. What does that mean? As we go through uh, passages in the New Testament today, we're going to be bouncing around a little bit, but we're going to discover three things. Three ways that the New Testament describes Christians. Those who follow Christ those who belong to his church, his ecclesia, his assembly. Jesus says to his apostles, he says, I will build my church. He doesn't say, I will build my team. He doesn't say, I will build my organization. He says, I will build my assembly. That means it's all about people. It's not about structures. It's not about organizational values, even though we have a mission statement. It says to lean in, look up, and live out. Those are things we get from the Bible. The church is all about people. Church is all about people. But it's a peculiar kind of people. A people that the Bible says have died. That's what baptism is a picture of. Most of our time this morning we're going to spend in Romans 6. So I'll invite you to go ahead and turn there to Romans 6. Paul talks in Romans 6, he gives the picture of baptism. Baptism is a picture of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. It is a picture of the old life passing away and the new life coming as we're raised from the waters of baptism. It's a picture of being buried with Christ. Paul literally says that in Romans 6. We have been buried with him in baptism and we've been raised to walk a new life. And so we are literally Christians of the walking dead. We walk in a new way. We don't walk the way that we used to walk. We still sin. We can't escape sin. Not until we leave this, these bodies. Because we still have an earthly mind. We still have an earthly heart. We still have earthly members to our physical bodies and we continue to sin but we are dead to sin we are dead to the power of sin over us we're dead to the effects of sin upon us when we die we are freed from sin we're freed from death but in order to be free we have to die and the bible says we have to die to three things specifically we have to die to ourselves number one we have to die to sin, number two. And we have to die to the world, number three. We have to die to self, to sin, and to the world. And as we prepare to constitute, and really just what that word means is, we begin to identify ourselves as a congregation. That is, we begin to, we begin to say to one another, I am a committed Christ follower, giving myself to the rest of you as a congregation to 
be accountable to you, to hold you accountable. And we're coming together for the mission of making disciples here in Maricopa as one congregation, distinct congregation, Grace Fellowship Church. And so what we talked about last week, we're going to reiterate this week again. There are connection cards, connect cards that you're going to find on the back table. You might have received one as you came in. You're going to have an opportunity over the next few weeks leading up to August 15th. August the 15th, we celebrate our fifth anniversary. And we're also getting ready to become, to go from being a mission, having parent churches who helped plant us to being our own independent body. We're going to start holding the rope for ourselves, so to speak. And so, the Bible talks about that there are congregations in the New Testament. There's a congregation in Antioch. There's a congregation in Jerusalem. There are congregations all in Asia Minor. As Paul goes and he plants churches, and then he leaves those churches, and he leaves elders there, and he tells the elders, he appoints the elders, and he says to them, you need to appoint elders later on who are going to lead the church and teach the church, and the church is going to make disciples. The Bible says they were going from house to house, breaking bread together, they were continuing with one mind in the temple, so they were worshiping together every week. This was a new community, a new community under the headship of Jesus Christ. And so we're getting ready to, to do that on paper as a church. Many of you have said, well, I've felt like a member of this church for years. And you are a member of the body spiritually. But we're also going to be legally saying to the rest of the world, to the state, we are dis a distinct body. Also what will come with that is your participation, more participation on your part in the ministry of this church. And so you will have the opportunity to pray for leaders, to elect people, to appoint people to places of leadership, to places of service in the church. And so it's an exciting time. But what we invite you to do over the next few weeks is take one of those cards, fill it out, and tell us if you're interested in going to the next level and becoming a member of Grace Fellowship Church. Okay? And then on the 15th, after we've received all of those cards, please don't wait for the week right before the 15th. All right? If you can and you know over the next couple of weeks, please tell us. Tell us today. Tell us next week. Say, yes, I want to be a member of Grace Fellowship Church. I'm ready to take the next step. Because then we're going to have a conversation with you between now and the 15th. And then on the 15th, those who have said yes to that invitation, we're going to recognize publicly here. And we're going to constitute as a church. And that will be our core group to start Grace Fellowship Church. All right? Are you excited about that? I am. I'm very excited. So, Paul talks about the church in Romans 6. He talks about the people that make up the church. And he says to those who are new Christians, but we're living in a Jewish world, trying to figure out, okay, how do, we, how do we follow Christ when we've been following, trying to follow the law all of our lives? And so, whenever Paul says that the gospel is the power of God unto salvation in Romans 1, 16 and 17, he says the gospel is meant for everyone. Wait a minute. Even to Jews who observe the law, he says, yes, even to Jews who observe the law. Because even though they're teachers and they're telling everybody how, else, how they ought to live, they don't measure up to the law themselves. Nobody can. And so, everyone needs the gospel. 
So now when he gets to Romans 6, he anticipates these rhetorical questions that people are going to ask. Well, okay, well, if I have Christ, then what does that mean about my relationship with the law? Does that mean that if, if, if I'm saved by grace, can I continue to sin? If grace abounds in the gospel, even more than sin abounds in the flesh, can we continue to sin so that grace may increase? He asks all these rhetorical questions, and his answer is, in the Greek, meganoita. Heck no! Heavens no! Whatever, whatever your adjective, or whatever your word is that you use. Don't use the bad ones, okay? He's like, no! Emphatically, no! You don't continue in sin. And in Romans chapter 6, he asks this question. He anticipates this question that people would ask, well, what shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin so that grace may increase? He says, may it never be in Romans 6, 2. How shall we who died still live in sin? And then he talks about baptism. Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ have been baptized into his death? Now, that word baptism today has a lot of, has a lot of baggage to it. When we hear the word Baptist or baptism, we think denomination, we think um, ordinance of the church and these things are true but what, what he's saying here in this context is immersed baptizo in the Greek meant immersed buried, covered completely covered and so he says wait a minute those of you who have been buried immersed, covered in Christ of course you're not to continue in sin because you have died. That's what, a pic, that's what baptism is a picture of. You have died. First, he talks about dying to self. You've died to yourself. Verse 4, he says, Therefore, we have been buried with him through baptism into death in order that as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, so we too might walk in newness of life. For if we have become united with him in the likeness of his death, certainly we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. Knowing this, that our old what? Self. That our old self was crucified with him. That our body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin. For he who has died is free from sin. Dead to self. He says the old self was crucified with Jesus on the cross. Because we're united with him in baptism by faith alone. So it's not the work of baptism. It's not going into the waters. It's the it's faith of the person in Christ alone. But the baptism is a picture of that person's faith. This is why Grace Fellowship Church will never baptize infants. We won't baptize your babies. We won't baptize children unless those children have given a public, reasonable profession of their faith in Jesus Christ. This is hard raising kids as a Christian parent because when they're in the church and they're, they're part of the community, but, but they're not spiritually because they have not professed faith in Christ. They haven't come to know Christ they haven't come to a place in their life where they're broken over their sin and they call out to Jesus for salvation. I know as a, as a preacher with preacher's kids, I remember when Hannah came to us and said, I'm ready. I want to be part of the, of the family of God. Our kids were like, why are we not part of the family when we're part of the family? And that was really difficult for us 
Because they're trying to, to, we're trying to see the fruit of the Holy Spirit in them. Because we're not going to baptize them if they don't have personal faith. This is why the church in England in the early uh, 1600s and 1500s was experiencing revival because, and reformation. Because if you were a citizen of the state, you were a member of the church. The two went hand in hand. And so when, when the Puritans uh, came forth in the, in the late uh, 16th century and they started pushing against the church-state relationship, they were also pushing against the idea of a mixed multitude in the church. They were looking at the church and they were going, wait, the church is corrupt. There are leaders in the church who are corrupt. There are members of the church who are, who are worshiping and they're taking the Lord's Supper together and then they're going out in the world and they're living like demons. <laughs> this should not be. And they discovered, well, there's a lot of people out in society who think they're Christians but who live, live like the devil. Why is that? Why do they think they're Christians? Well, because we baptized them when they were eight weeks old. And they grew up thinking they were Christian people and part of the church. And so the Puritans said something has to change. And they discovered, they started reading the New Testament and they said, you know, we, we're not convinced that the New Testament church operated like this. It seems that when you read the book of Acts, the people that are being baptized by the apostles are people who have personally express their faith in the Lord Jesus Christ on their own. Other people didn't make professions for them. Parents didn't present their children to be baptized unless their children said, I want Jesus as my Lord and Savior. It is the, it is the entry into the body of the dead, the church, baptism is the entry into that dead community. It's a picture of what has happened in our hearts individually. And so we come as individual dead people, dead to ourselves. Again, in Ephesians chapter 4, went on a little church history tangent there, but now we're back. Ephesians chapter 4, and if you want to know more about that, um, later on, take me aside and we'll talk about it a little bit more. But Ephesians chapter 4, verses 22 and on, listen, listen to what the Bible says about believers. In reference to your former manner of life, you are to lay aside the old self which is being corrupted in accordance with the lust of deceit. And that you be renewed in the spirit of your mind and put on the new self, which, is in, the, which in the likeness of God has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. Therefore, laying aside falsehood, speak truth, each one of you, with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and yet do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your anger. Do not give the devil an opportunity. Let him who steals, steal no longer, but rather let him labor, performing with his own hands what is good, in order that he may have something to share with him who has need. Let no unwholesome word proceed from your mouth, but only such as a word uh, as is good for edification according to the need of the moment, that it may give grace to those who hear. And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Let all bitterness and wrath and anger and clamor and slander be put away from you along with all malice. 
And be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving each other, just as God in Christ also has forgiven you. He goes on and says that we should try to be imitators of God as beloved children of God. Do you notice all the one another's here? He says that we as Christians die to ourselves, die to ourselves so that, for one reason, so that when we present ourselves to one another as Christians, when we come together in the body of Christ, we treat each other with love. We treat each other with kindness. We don't steal from one another any longer. We don't have harsh words to say to one another any longer. We're careful with our tongue. We lay aside falsehood. Because the new self has been created in righteousness and holiness of the truth. We have to die to ourselves. And then finally in Philippians 2, verses 1 through 4. We're encouraged as Christ's followers to have the same attitude that he had. The Bible says in Philippians 2, verse 1 through 4, If therefore there is any encouragement in Christ... There is any consolation of love, if there is any fellowship of the Spirit, if any affection and compassion, Paul says, make my joy complete by being of the same mind, maintaining the same love, united in spirit, intent on one purpose. Do nothing from selfish or empty conceit, but with humility of mind, let each of you regard one another as more important than himself. Do not merely look out for your own personal interests, but also for the interests of others. You say, that is a tall order for a human. Yes, it is. But he follows that up with a picture of the cross. He says, consider Jesus, who existed in the form of God, who came down to, down to earth and took on flesh and lived among us and walked our road and and ministered in our filth who the Bible says he emptied himself. He took on the form of a bondservant. He was crucified. How can we crucify our flesh? How can we die to self? By keeping our eyes on Jesus. Amen? Because he did. But we can't come in to a community of the dead if we don't die ourselves. We have to die to self. Number two, we have to die to sin. In the fellowship of the dead, we are dead to sin. Going back to Romans chapter six, you'll notice as we follow along, Paul's reasoning here to the church in Rome. He says, if we have died, this is in verse 8, if we have died with Christ, we believe that we shall also live with him, knowing that Christ, having been raised from the dead, is never to die again. Death no longer is master over him. For the death he died, he died to sin once for all, but the life that he lives, he lives to God. Verse 11, even so, or likewise, consider yourselves to be dead to what? Sin. Dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Now what, is, what does that mean to be dead to sin? 
I'm not going to cheat, but chapter 7, when we, in September, we're going to jump back into our Roman series. So September the 5th, we'll be getting back into Romans and we'll be looking, picking up where we left off earlier this spring. We're going to be in Romans 7, where Paul talks about, how can this be? How can it be that I can be saved by God through Jesus Christ and be dead to sin, yet sin still live in me? How can I be dead to sin, but still struggle with sin? How is that possible? I'm not going to jump ahead to explain that. But, notice what he says here. For every Christian, for every member of the dead community, we're not just dead to ourselves, to our own lusts, to our own passions, to our own wills. We don't only lay that aside and humbly come under the Lordship of Christ with other brothers and sisters and say, not my will, but Thy will be done. Not only death to self, but dead to sin. That's how we're a dead community. That's how we're a fellowship of the dead. Sin is dead in the church. That is, we are a community of people who have been born again. That means sin doesn't have a hold on you. That means we don't, we don't try to heap guilt on one another for the sin that Jesus died for and paid for on the cross. Amen? That means that the community of the dead is a place where you can experience freedom from guilt and freedom from sin. It is not a place of guilt and condemnation. It is a place of forgiveness and a place of freedom that comes from that forgiveness. One of the reasons I love the body of Christ. <laughs> Unfortunately, many times... Uh, Churches don't do well in this area. Become legalistic and judgmental. And people get burned out on church. They've had bad church experiences where they haven't been forgiven. They haven't been seen through the eyes of Christ's love and forgiveness. But it's just heaping judgment all the time upon people for their life, for their previous life, for the sin that they were entangled in before coming to Christ. People are haunted by their former identity before Christ. It should never be that way in the church. Ever. The church is a community of people who are dead to sin. The community of Christ is dead to sin and therefore free from condemnation. In Romans chapter 8, I am going to cheat a little bit just to turn your attention to Romans chapter 8. Because after chapter 7, when Paul talks about how this could be, he says to you, about you, if you're in Christ, he says this, there is therefore now no condemnation for you. You get that? There's no condemnation for those who are in Christ. Maybe that's the only thing you needed to hear this morning. And just that alone is freeing, isn't it? The church is a place where there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It doesn't mean that we don't hold each other accountable. It doesn't mean that we call one another to higher places of service and devotion to the Lord. No. It just means that when we are covered in the blood of Christ, we are forgiven fully and we see one another as human beings, Christians who are forgiven through the blood of Christ. I recently saw one of those videos on social media. You know, one of the ones that just kind of keeps you glued. You're like, what are they doing? Ones that you can't turn off. 
That's my confession this morning. I watched those videos. Well, there's one. There's one where they show this guy who takes a, a link from a massive anchor chain. Anybody ever seen a massive anchor chain like on a ship? Yeah. Massive anchor chain. The links were like this big. And he, and he took it and what he was going to do is he was going to make a sword out of it. And so you watch the video and you're like, oh, I got to see this, right? Takes the chain, he chops off the, the link, he pulls the link out. And this is a long process that they do the speed video through, photography or whatever. And it shows how he takes that thing and he heats it up and he bends it out and he beats it with a hammer and, and cools it off and then heats it up again and all this. And at the end, there's this beautiful, bright, it looks like a Marine Corps saber out of a chain. And I thought, man, that is, that is pretty impressive. As I watched that video, I thought of the way that that's the way God works in a person. He takes the, the, the chains, the bondage, the sin, the junk. I mean, this chain was all old and rusty. It had probably sat at the bottom of a, a bay or a port or something for years. It's all rusty and nasty. Good for nothing, most people would say. Just the trash heaps, good for nothing. And this smelter took this link out of it. He took a link out of the chain and he made a sword, a beautiful weapon of victory out of it. And I said, that's what, guess that's what God does with people. He takes our junk, he heats it up, and he makes something beautiful. He takes a chain, buried and bound. He breaks it, he shapes it, he heats it up, and he fashions it into a weapon of victory. Amen? That's what the church is. That's what the church is made up of, people who God has done that in their life. A fellowship of the dead. He can't use us until we come to the end of ourselves. He won't fashion us into something for his glory until we come to him and say, I'm finished. I, I, I give up. I'm, I'm through running my race. Lord, have your way in me. But when you do that, he will make something amazing out of your life. And then finally, dead to the world. The fellowship of the dead. The church is a community of people who are dead to the world. It means you have to stop caring what the world thinks about you. It means you have to be willing to be used by God in the world. So, Galatians is a great place where Paul talks about this. But first, I want to take you to Colossians, another one of his letters to the churches. In Colossians chapter 2, we get an idea of what is meant by the world. When the New Testament talks about the world and worldliness, it describes it in different ways. What Paul has in mind in Colossians 2, is the way the world works. Just the way it operates. And so he says to Christians, in verse 20, Colossians chapter 2, if you have died with Christ, he says, 
to the elementary principles of the world, why, as if you were living in the world, do you submit yourself to decrees such as do not handle, do not taste, do not touch, which all refer to things destined to perish with the using in accordance with the commandments and teachings of men. These are matters which have to be sure the appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement and severe treatment of the body, but are of no value against fleshly indulgence. He's talking about worldly philosophies. If he were, if he were with us today, Paul would say, uh, stop listening to the gurus out there. All right, and get into the word of God. If you've died with Christ to the elementary principles of the world, stop behaving as if you still belong to the world, as if those things still have a hold on you. Stop thinking like the world. Again, in Galatians 2, he gives a reason for this. Why should Christians no longer operate according to the ways of the world? No longer think like the world? Because we have what? Died. We've died. He would have us remember Romans 6. You've been buried with Christ in baptism. So now present yourselves to God as instruments of righteousness. Don't present yourself to the world. In Romans 12, 1 through 2, he says, present yourselves to God as those alive from the dead. Don't present yourself to the world anymore. Present yourself to God. He says in Galatians 2.20, I've been crucified with Christ. It's no longer I who live, but Christ lives in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and delivered himself up for me. He uses this term a lot in Galatians. Crucified, not just talking about Jesus, mind you, but talking about you and me. That as Christians, we've been crucified with Christ. That is, when Jesus died on the cross, he died in your place, he died your death. And so if we belong to him, and if we belong to the community of those who are Christians, we are dead. Why? Because we've been crucified with Christ. So he says, I've been crucified in chapter 5 of Galatians, turn a few pages over. Verse 24, he says, Now those who belong to Christ Jesus, that's all of us, any who have faith, have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. The self has been crucified. And then finally in 6.14, he says, May it never be that I should boast except in the cross of the Lord Jesus Christ, through which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. You get that? Now, here's what's going on here in Galatians. All right? I'm just going to move this. <clears throat> Sometimes I feel like I'm not with you because of this thing. Here's what's going on in Galatians. In the church in Galatia, there are some who are reverting back to their old religious life, Judaism. And there were Judaizers in the church who were telling new Christians, yeah, you need Jesus. It's Jesus and only Jesus, but you also need these customs, 
These things that Paul would refer to as elementary principles, basic religious stuff. That Jesus actually fulfills all those in his flesh on the cross. You don't have to be, he would say to the Galatians, you don't have to be circumcised anymore. You don't have to observe all of these religious rites from the Old Testament or from Old Testament Judaism. Because all these things have been met in the person and work of Christ. You must be crucified with Christ to that background, to that world. You must be dead to those things. So when we talk about being dead to the world, it's not just the secular world we're talking about. It's the religious world as well. We have to, when we come into the church as members of the body of Christ, we are new creatures. Whatever your religious background is, doesn't matter. I'm sure it has some kind of impact in your life. I don't want to discount it. But do you know how we're all the same? We're all the same because we all die in Jesus Christ. It doesn't matter where you came from. And so Paul reminds this, this group of super religious people in the church in Galatia. He says, none of that matters when it comes to being part of the body of Christ. You can have attended Bible college and seminary. You could have been a Christian for 50 years. You could have taught in Sunday school. You could have been an evangelist or none of those things. And it doesn't matter. You're just as important. Why? Because you're dead. And now you have a new life in Christ. And every single one of us are new creatures in Jesus Christ. And so when you think about this, the way that the church in Galatia was approaching things is they thought that, and not only them, but many people in the New Testament who would approach Jesus thought, hey, I want to tell you about my background. Check this out. Pull out their, their resume. And like, like the guy who went to the temple. Jesus told the story of a Pharisee who went to the temple and a tax collector. And they both knelt down to pray. And the Pharisee is saying, oh God. He pulls out his list. He pulls out his resume. He's like, Lord, check out my resume. I fast. I tithe. I give. I worship. I thank you I'm not like this guy over here. And he's just standing there just kind of, you know, lackadaisically worshiping. And then Jesus says, but the, the tax collector was unwilling to even lift up his head because he was so convicted of his sin and he beat his chest and he said, Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. Condemned. Jesus says, do you know who went to his home that day justified before the Lord? Not the one who pulled out his resume. See, we're... God wants Grace Fellowship Church to be a congregation, to be a community of those who have all died in Christ and who are all the same under the blood of Jesus Christ. doesn't matter what your background is, your age, your ethnicity. It doesn't matter any of those things. We are community, our community, a fellowship of the dead. And that's all that matters. So your spiritual Church, or your religious story, your religious background, your church story, your church testimony doesn't seal you with Jesus. We learn this in Scripture from the many religious people who come to Jesus and say, I'll follow you wherever you go. 
I want eternal life. I have all these other things. My resume is filled. I just need this one thing. Jesus says, to follow me is going to cost you all of that stuff. You can put that thing in the shredder. Are you willing to shred all of that and come follow me? And many of them said no. They came to him with a resume. He said, I don't want your resume. Because our spiritual, our church, our religious story doesn't seal us with Jesus. Rather, it's the opposite. Our Jesus story seals us with the community of Jesus Christ. Our Jesus story is what seals us with the church. We're a community, a congregation of those who've been born again. We are a community of the crucified. We are a fellowship of the dead. Jesus makes his church like the Father created the universe. You never notice that? In Genesis, the Bible says that the earth was what? Formless and void, empty, nothing there. What happened? God spoke, let there be, and there was. That's how God created everything that we see. He just spoke out of nothing, and it was. The Bible says about Christians, about members of the church, that before Jesus, we were dead in our trespasses and sins. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. But you were dead in your trespasses and sins when he made you alive together with Christ. He spoke his redeeming word over you and called you to himself and you confessed your sins to him freely and said, I give up. And he created in you a clean heart and gave you victory over sin and over death. That's how God in Christ builds his church, creates his church. Out of nothing. And he's pleased to do that. We uh, last week talked a little bit about, and we will be in the future, our church covenant. You'll find these on the back. Uh, one of those tables back there. Some of you took these home last week, read over them. Just five statements here. The first one, I want you to notice, just as I breeze through these really quickly. I want you to notice how these are not possible unless we die. These things are not possible. We, we can't covenant with one another to do these things it's like a marriage, right? Like a marriage. People will try to live with each other for a while before they get married. Try, you know, can we, can we live together? Can we actually not kill each other? You know? It doesn't work, does it? Why? Because what has to happen in a marriage, you just have to, you have to commit. You have to die to yourself because there will be a day when you have an argument and you're going to have to give up. It's not a 50-50 relationship. It's 100% both ways. There's no way we can do these things unless we're dead to ourselves, dead to sin, and dead to the world. How in the world could we demonstrate the love of Christ to one another and pursue peace with one another under the leadership of the Holy Spirit and God's word if we are not dead to self, dead to sin, and dead to the world? We couldn't do that. But we can if we're in Christ. To present ourselves in community, to be transformed by God. That is for us to come together 
regularly together as a church like we're doing today to be transformed by God and submitting ourselves to the authority of His Word for the renewing of our minds and the reformation of our values. No one's going to submit themselves to the church or to God or to His Word if they're not dead to their self. Amen? It's impossible. Can't do it. Committed to the church? Not unless we're dead. To exalt Christ in our homes, in the church, in society by humbly fulfilling our God-given roles of biblical manhood, womanhood, and childhood as the Holy Spirit empowers us. This goes right along with the next one. To present Christ in the world as faithful witnesses. Both of these have to do with two things. Who God wants us to be individually with our families, that is in our home, in our church, and then in society. We can't be who God wants us to be. I can't be a godly husband to Emily. I can't be a godly father to my kids. I can't be a, a, a godly member of this church unless I'm dead to myself, dead to sin, and dead to the world. Nor can I be that godly husband to Emily, godly father, and godly member of the church when I'm in society. It's not, it's not as though a, a switch is turned off when we go from home, church, and then in society. It's the same, right? So the New Testament talks about how we as Christians are to behave in society, but it also says for each one of us, if you're, if you're a, a child and you have parents and you live with your parents, you are under their healthy authority. The Bible says, children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your parents. So when you leave your house and go to school, and you're in a classroom, and all the other students are disrespecting the teacher, you don't get to disrespect the teacher because you're not at home. You have to respect your teacher. You have to, be, you have to reflect the values of your home and who God has told you to be as a child of your parents, even in public. Amen? So when you dis, when, when you, you act outside of God's will in society, you are not honoring your parents in the home like you should be. So it doesn't just matter how you behave in the home because that's where your parents are. Likewise, it's not just bound to Christian husbands and wives, mothers and fathers, right? If you're, if you're a, a woman who God has called and you're married and God has called you to submit to your husband's healthy authority in your home, Paul says, as as the church does to Christ. And you say, that's great for me in my home. I can do that. But when I, when I go and I meet my friends or when I go off to work, and you, you, might be a, you might be a CEO of a company. And you have men who work under you and you tell them what to do and they do it and you're their boss. That's great. Bible doesn't say anything against that. But it does say that when you're that CEO, you are still your husband's wife. And if you're a husband, if you're a man, and you're working out in society, you do not have the freedom, you don't have, you don't have the, the freedom to go out with the guys clubbing and bar hopping because that's what guys at your workplace do. No, you still love and honor and cherish your wife even though you're not inside the home. And you still reflect the values, Christian values of the church body, even though you're not meeting with the church in a prayer meeting or a worship service. You see how that works? But what does the world tell you? 
Well, if you're a student in school, the world is going to look at you and say, what are you, goody two-shoes? You don't, you want to do this stuff with us? You're too good for that? You're a Christian man and you're out on a construction site. I was a plumber for 15 years, something like that. Man, when you're out on a commercial construction site and everybody decides to check off work early and go do something, especially on Fridays, right? Did you have to come back to work on Saturday? I stuck out like a sore thumb. But it's because I believe that as a Christian, God called me to something different. Men and women. Husbands and wives. But we can't, listen, we can't do this, can we? Unless we die. Die to sin. Die to self. Die to the world. And that's who we are as Christians. And the world's going to look at you funny. And the world's going to treat you different. People in your family are going to treat you differently. Because you don't share their values. Because you're not doing what they're doing. But that's what it means to die. In the first century, the cost was not losing your job. It was losing your head. The cost was not losing your popularity. The cost was losing your life. You weren't being thrown out of a club. You were being thrown to wild animals. But from day one, when Jesus called his church out of the world, he called us to die. Will you die? Will you die with us? Pray about that. Think about that. As we come together and become an official church, we're going to be very intentional about membership and what that means. And we believe God wants us to be different. And I believe he's going to do amazing things in and through your life and in and through this church as we present ourselves to him as those alive from the dead. Would you bow your head in prayer? I want to invite you just this morning just to, for a moment, take a, a moment to think about, to meditate on what we've learned What is God saying to you? That's really what matters right now. It is not so much what I've said, but what God is speaking to your heart right now. What do you sense him telling you to do? How has he encouraged you? Spoken to your heart this morning. How will you respond to him? Father, there are so many things in our flesh, in the world, God, that want to keep us on life support, that want to keep us hanging on, to keep us from stopping short from giving you all that we have, all that we are. The Lord, your word tells us that until we come to you with open arms, broken and ready to be filled, God, until we come to you dying to ourselves, 
until we're ready to die, we're not ready. God, that everywhere across this room, Lord, as we lift up our prayers to you, that you would show us the places in our life where we need to die, where we need to turn our lives over to you. God, would you speak to hearts all across this room this morning? And Father, would we be obedient as we hear your voice to lay whatever you've called us to lay upon the table, that we would lay it there. And that we would have the faith to know that you make beautiful weapons of victory out of old rusty chain links. And we would have faith to put our trust in you. Father, I look forward to the way that you're going to move over the next few weeks and this coming year, Lord, as we begin to come together as a church. I pray that today people would make decisions along those lines and decide if they want to pursue that next step. Join Grace Fellowship Church. Oh, we look forward to all that you're going to do. We thank you, Father, for Jesus, that he died in our place, and that we have victory through him, and that there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. We pray all of this in his glorious name. Amen.